You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Just going to Central African time, and at the time of the evening, we'll be joining our very own Anwar Kasabani segment, Driving with Anwar. And Anwar, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Tell me, how are you doing this beautiful evening, Anwar? Alhamdulillah, Brother Shafat, very, very well. Great to have you, Anwar. And uh, well, when you look around you and uh, you feel the different vibes coming through, how are the sardines treating you, Anwar? I, I wouldn't really know, Brother Shafat. I, I got all the friends of mine that met, and you know, I got a friend of mine who's one of his guys in this life saving club, one of his top dogs, and he's actually taken a month off, and he seems to be chasing sardines. He was here at my place yesterday. And I asked him a question, you know, because social media is portraying these sardines, but you're not supposed to eat it because of E. coli and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And we know our waters are not safe, really. You know, it's hard to say because we're having so many different, you know, uh, wordings when it comes to different uh, uh, sectors of the department, you know. So Alhamdulillah, he tells he tells and tells he makes it very simple. He says, you know, the fish you buy, you can eat. And that that you catch is not worth it. So you have to pay the guys. Alhamdulillah, it'll be perfectly fine. So whatever his explanation was, he says it's perfectly fit to eat. Another guy says, you know what? I mean, after you fry it, whatever bacteria, whatever it might have, will be gone. The another guy says, you know what? It it tends to survive. If it was so bad, it, the, the fish would not survive in the ocean. So I don't know, but uh, you know, I, I don't eat sardines, though, I don't know why. I know when I was a kid, I used to eat it, but it was a very thorny thing, I know. But people love it. I think it's a seasonal thing. So whatever the case is, you know, I, I think it's quite safe to eat. But I'm uh, very much like you. I'm not a very big fan of it, but uh, sometimes it's well prepared. If I just get a little bit of its meat, I may enjoy it, maybe on the buttered toast and so forth. But, uh, you know, I mean, uh, look at the shark uh, population. I mean, uh, we, we, we got a lot of sharks in KZN. Looks like, you know, they, uh, I mean, uh, it's a fen- uh, people are, are shocked at the phenomena of the so many sharks in, uh, you know, in, 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 in Richard's Bay and so forth. So, your, your thoughts on that? Right? Even here in uh, Doonside and Toti and all that, lots of sharks are following the sardines. Yeah, you know, it's a noted phenomenon when it comes to shark and big game. You know, you'll find a lot of people with their rods hoping to catch big game out there. You know, but also at the same time, I, I remember a few years ago, the Chinese trawlers were here, and they were actually culling all these whales and the sharks, you know, for the meat and for X, Y, and Z. But the fact is, we're bound to have this, but, you know, the ecosystem has to grow somehow. You know, we, we cannot extort all the fish, and if you look at the marine life, the depletion, if you look at the pollution that's taking place, you know, it's nice to know there's some big sharks that's coming, not the milk sharks as before. A lot of milk sharks used to surface previously, you know. But Alhamdulillah, you know, you see, you know, avid fishermen, they actually catch them and they throw them back, you know. It has to do with survival, otherwise you won't have an ecosystem out there in sea. So, you know, if you look at sardines itself, up to three scientists doesn't know where they come from and where they go, but you can see the shore is a couple of kilometers so there's a lot of things that is unexplained in science itself. Also, at the same time, you know, it gives us a certain amount of humanity because you'll find a lot of togetherness when the sardine fever hits. I know people from far and wide tend to chase them. It's like looking at snow for the first time, you know. They take the kids, the grandkids, and they're rushing to wherever the sardine's coming out. You know, they keep abreast with all that. So it's a lot of excitement for the time. I, uh, however it tastes, I can't really be sure, but the fact is it brings us about a lot of togetherness, I think. And then you have a lot of people that 
10 tends to rip off. I remember, I think last year, the year before, it was 50 rand a dozen. A lot of people then went down to 5 rand a dozen. Whatever the case is, I, I suppose it's, it's a money spin on one side. It's a breadwinner for some, you know. So it has a lot of advantages. Now we talk about show power, we talk about shock power, let's talk about horsepower of those uh, vehicles that need, uh, you know, these uh, people uh, that are knitters, uh, they have uh, special 4 by 4s and uh, they carry a lot of crates and, you know, talk about the, you know, the, the torque, the, power, the, the, the TOR key that goes into these engines and what type of engines they have to go and uh, perhaps, you know, catch all these sardines, up, uh, I mean, uh, tow the ski boats. Or squ- uh, towing the boats and having uh, these crates on top of them, and uh, you know what type of vehicle is needed, and what is the most popular v- vehicle that these netters are using, and what? You know, I, if you look at the hardened fishermen from year, years ago up to this present day, you'll find they are seasoned netters. You know, and actually, yesterday a vehicle came to the workshop. It was this Land Cruiser. This is not very old Land Cruiser. I'll, I'll put it in the ninety-eight, two thousands. You know. And he just explained to me, I had to do a diagnostic for him, and he tells me, he says, you know, uh, my vehicle, I did a, a few hundred kilometers, and I spent 1,300 rands on petrol alone because he chases sardines. You know, in a day, he spent 1,300 rands. And he says, the other vehicles, we traveled with about three vehicles in a convoy, and the other vehicles spent about three, 400 rands, you know. So there's a lot of uh, cost that's incurred when it comes to actually, you know, netting out the sardines. If you're looking at these vehicles, obviously they're all four by fours because they're given numbers, special numbers allocated by the municipality to go on land, uh, on the, uh, the shores itself because normally you're not allowed to do that because you're netting, you're allowed to go, you know, so they got a special consent on that, which they obviously pay for. And obviously, they've got to have considerable amount of torque. So when it comes to torque, it's not to mention the speed of the vehicle. It won't be that fast, but it'll be a very high-torque vehicle. So obviously, it's all four-wheel drive. Most of them, is, uh, you know, so it most of it has a, a locked differential system where all three, four wheels go together, or some is two by four or four by four. It really doesn't matter. But the point is, it has the torque. It has special uh, grips on the uh, your, your ties itself that actually gives you good buoyancy over the sand so you don't really get bogged itself. So, you know, he, the, the gentleman yesterday just tells me, he says, you know, we just pulled out one of the uh, other 4 by 4s and I can't remember the name, and he says, you know, the torque on this vehicle is ridiculously high because at ease on the, on the sea sand, it just seemed to have pulled it like, you know, it was normal road. So that itself will tell you, you know, so... When it comes to the vehicles, I, I know I took my Jeep off-road in Alhamdulillah. It would have fared very, very well on C-Stand because I got those heavy grip tires also. And I think 17-inch or 18-inch uh, rims and tires we got in there. And it claimed, uh, you know, we went to a very beautiful off-road uh, course. And likewise, we, we had D4Ds, we had this old double cabs, 4x4s. Obviously, all were 4x4s because it was off-roading. Thing. And you notice that it has nothing to do with speed. It has to do with torque. It has to do with power, a low range more than anything else. And that is what actually gives you the um, takeoff. And, the, you know, so you don't really get stuck as much. So, I, you know, when it comes to vehicles, I think right now the Toyota D4D, I don't really see a lot of them on the beaches, though, because most of the guys are still going for land cruises and land rovers. Itself. But, but as I mentioned, they were hardened uh, season nettles, you know. So it's something that's passed from generation to generation. I think even the vehicles are passed over to the next generation, what I noticed, you know. So that, that I see very, very commonly. 
Hey, we've been talking about uh, tire pressure on uh, the sea sand uh, with these uh, four by four. Uh, do they, uh, you know, travel on the sand with uh, maximum pressure in the tire, or do they lower the pressure, or they take out some air from the tire to get more grip on the sea sand? Uh, and what? It all depends on the section of tire you have or the tread pattern that you have, because they don't generally do that. I, I know with my Jeep, you know, when we go into soft, uh, muddy soil as such, you know, it's exactly the same. And we passed streams and we went off course. And we never needed to. Uh, I think we were sitting about 3, 3.5 bars of pressure, tire pressure itself on our tires on the Jeep. And there was absolutely no need. And there were some places that was fully muddy. It was like uh, a sand pit, I would call it, you know. And uh, no hassles at all. It just glided through perfectly fine at low gear. So likewise, when it comes to these vehicles, the guys know exactly what to fit, you know. And the disappointing factor, I remember the workshop a year or two back, I had a few vehicles that came in in that course of time. It was also a sardine run, and the guys were prepping up the vehicles for the sardines. And when you underneath the vehicle, look at the props and the universals and checking the braking system, you realize everything is like basically rusted, you know. Uh, obviously, the bodies are made out of aluminium, so they corrode to a point. You know, it's not like the conventional rust that we see on the normal cars. So aluminium bodies, it has steel chassis, obviously, but obviously the nuts, bolts, and everything that goes with it, even the handbrake cables are normal steel, you know, mild steel, a lot of them. And you see there's a rough, and I remember doing a wheel bearing, it took the guys about half a day just to pull out the back hub on the vehicle because of the rust that consumed it, you know. So when it comes to the maintenance, it, it is relatively high, I would say, you know. That is why they say, just like a person who owns a boat, the moment you come off the water, you need to host and wash the motor, wash the boat. The same applies to these 4 by 4s you know, when it comes to maintenance part of it. You talk about the 4 by 4s I mean, in our previous uh, program that we were discussing, that perhaps uh, one of the biggest uh, sellers in 4 by 4s is, uh, uh, you know, you look at the Ford Ranger. Uh, they feature no way in the sardine run on, uh, on what? I haven't seen one as yet. I've seen convoys of this Sardine Run member. In fact, some of them are very personal friends of mine, and none of them, for some reason, have Ranger. So I don't know what it is. Mm. I, I, I think it was a trusted thing. I remember when we were growing up, there was Gengen's Fisheries. I remember those guys in Springer Beach, my dad's friends. And I used to go there, and they said all the crates and that smell used to be ex extremely heavy, you know, with the sardines and the crates, and, you know, I was a kid at that time, and I used to be hosting those crates, and he'd give me a couple of rands, you know, I was in primary school, I remember, just for the fun of it, and, uh, you know, he also had this land cruise over, our land cruiser at that period of time, so as I say, not much has changed when he came to that system, I, did, I honestly expect to see some D4Ds out there, and, some uh, uh, Ford uh, Rangers, you know, because they got beautiful torque. In fact, the new Ford Rangers uh, got about 500 kilowatts it's pushing out, you know, when it comes to the torque itself. But I've, I've never seen any of them. They're more for luxurious vehicles. But also at the same time, I think the career path of these uh, netters were chosen years ago. It's not somebody who's venturing into that career at this present moment. I, I honestly see a generation has left and the sons have taken over. You know, so everything has been passed over. Even the net has been passed over. You know, you talk about the uh, power of the Ford Ranger, so uh, it has a lot of torque and uh, uh, so forth. Uh, why, I mean, why wouldn't people use it? I, I, I mean, body-wise, it will be uh, maybe, you know, taking it near the sea, no matter how good the body is, it still will water, and what any sea water gets into it. 
Most definitely, as we mentioned, you know, when it comes to Maestri, although a lot of uh, these vehicles, if you look at the VW, the Audis, well, a lot of these vehicles are coming zinc-coated now. You know, they get special primer and such. But the fact is, we all know rust doesn't surface from the top. It actually eats or penetrates from the underneath that is uh, not protected. You know, that is why people will notice that if you have stone chips in your vehicle or your bonnet on your roof, wherever the case may be, people should generally take a year, but get that type of matching paint. They just touch it lightly with either a very fine brush or this year, but it, tough. it suffices just to block that uh, that area off because generally stone chips create rust, and I think we all are aware of it and around the windscreens, wherever the stone will chip. You know, so when you take a mild vehicle, uh, a mild steel vehicle, you beat any one of the local vehicles into this, you're bound to have a problem. Yet you'll find every fisherman will from the shoreline and they'll go fishing and they'll swear by it. But you must also remember that most of the vehicles are coming out with a five to eight year warranty on the bodies itself. You know, so obviously I think the zinc coating or whatever they have that is placed at the bottom of the primers that they have on these vehicles, you know, it will last for that duration of time. And that is the reason they have that type of warranty that they carry when it comes to the rust of it. You know, so likewise, I remember in Cape Town a few years ago, when it comes to the rust aspect of it, that uh, a company opened and it promised, you know, it gave a two-year guarantee on rust. You know, you can repair your rust. But the company closed down six months later, and it tells you why. Because uh, also, most of the vehicles we have, majority of the vehicles, they're not virgin metal that is used. It is all recycled metal. Things that you throw away to a scrap dealer itself, you know, scrap yards, you will call it. They recycle it, and that is the new vehicles you actually see in the market at the moment. So there's no, like, aluminum vehicles or one of those, you know, High-end vehicles, no, all of them is mild steel, and that is the scary part when it comes to the, you know, the actual structure or the livability of, of uh, the duration of the lasting of the uh, body. Now, that point indeed, uh, those classics that you have, hey, keep them, because they're genuine stuff, so indeed. Now, one of the uh, most frightening things about people is, hey, when we get stranded, we get stranded, what can we do? And yeah, in your case, all your chummies call you. And it can be midnight too, but Anwar, hey, I don't know how you get up at midnight and go and help them. But uh, talk to us about this article, Don't Get Stranded. Uh, you know, uh, what's it all about, Anwar? It's more because, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, the discussion will be more because if your vehicle is insured, I think a lot of people have a problem with this because a lot of people don't see the fine print on the insurance itself when they sign off. Because a lot of people are not insured for towing when it comes to mechanical defects or mechanical failure in your vehicle. So one needs to be wary, you know, because a lot of uh, insurance companies will obviously, you know, they'll cover you for accidents, you know, and not for mechanical failure. So when it comes to the towing aspect, that might, you might have to fit the bill. But if you've got a comprehensive insurance that actually covers you for any form of breakdown, they'll either pay uh, the tow truck uh, 500 or alternatively, they'll tow you to a range of most of the 25 kilometers to a nearest garage or safe place, you know. So there's a lot of things, you know, one needs to consider. Also, at the same time, a lot of insurance companies, and I find a lot of my customers have this problem because when they meet for accidents or when they break down on the freeway or wherever it is, you know, they, 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 they get very nervous, they get scared because obviously nobody wants to be left alone in the dark in the middle of a freeway or anything, because we all know it's a ruthless place right now. It's gone very violent, you know, with all the crime that's taking place. So you don't want to be left alone there. So you'll find that, you know, I, I will 
put it in inverted commas vouchers, but the fact of the matter is Total Driver saves lives also to a point because they happen to be the first one on the scene. You know, day after you'll find the cops and the ambulance and X, Y, and Z. And a lot of these guys are helpful. You know, that, that's what I noticed because when I used to attend breakdowns on freeways, wherever it is, you'll find the breakdown guy is there before me. And he doesn't push you to tow the vehicle. He's there. He puts his light on. He protects the vehicle, you know, so people can actually have some form of visibility itself, you know. So the point is, you know, people need to be ready. But if you have a mechanical failure, you know, you, you need to actually phone your insurance company, notify them. Don't get any X, Y, and Z to actually tow the vehicle because a lot of insurance companies are affiliated to the, some of the registered good guys out there, you know, and that is on the panel itself. So they are allowed to tow your vehicle, maybe to a safe place, maybe to the yards itself, and you know that the insurance company will cover the cost of that day. But if you get one of the guys that you that's not on the panel itself that tows your vehicle, you'll find that you'll have to most probably fit the storage bill, the towing bill, because your insurance company will very unlikely pay that bill. Obviously, if you're hurt in an accident and when the ambulance is there, take you, which become a mess, uh, it necessitates that you have to be hospitalized or whatever it is, or you're unconscious, then obviously somebody else will actually be the person who tows the vehicle without your knowledge. But somehow the other, he obviously needs to leave a card or something because he need to get paid. So the wise thing to actually do, if you're actually affiliated to any of the insurance companies, you've got some towing services that is affiliated to the insurance company, one would be advisable to actually put on a stick on your vehicle. So irrespective of what happens, even the guy who, who is not affiliated comes, he looks at the sticker, he realizes automatically he's not allowed to tow the vehicle because he will not get paid, you know. So also when it comes to things like that, on the same topic, if by, by any chance, you know, you, you meet with a collision and nobody's hurt as such, you know, it is not the, the onus upon any either one of the parties to pay the third party. In other words, you are indirectly, if the case goes to court, you're basically accepting liability on the other person's damages because you're actually paying or you're opting to pay for the towing services of the third party's vehicle. So these are small things, you know, uh, that you, uh, one needs to heed when it comes to being stranded on the road. But also, like, I, I because of my field, I, I've got people at first hand. I remember on my Jeep itself, I filled up um, at a petrol station and they put diesel in my petrol vehicle. And I travel just reaching onto the freeway, I find the vehicle just backfires and it cuts off. And I, I know I just filled up and I go to the back, I can see diesel stains. Obviously, I can smell it is diesel. And immediately I phoned my tow truck friend and he came. Within the five months he was there, we put it in a road back, we went back to the garage, we pumped up the diesel, and Alhamdulillah, all was good by that afternoon. So you need to have somebody's number as safekeeping, basically, you know, because especially a tow truck in your area, your vicinity, somebody that you know that will give you personal attention, even if you're not in short, so you know the guy will be there within that set period of time. Uh, good advice coming from Anwar Kassim this evening. And I heard, you know, when we talk about, uh, I mean, yeah, we, uh, I don't know, we have this uh, Toyota addiction because they, we can smell them from where we're sitting, you know. And it says about 85% of uh, Toyota shareholders vote to re-elect Toyota at annual meeting. So uh, they like this uh, uh, COO of uh, Toyota. He's uh, re-elected. Uh, talk to us about uh, how Toyota is, you know, Everything keeps going right for the man. What even in uh, no. re-electing the same person? Uh, I don't believe in him. No, actually, the person we're talking about is Akio Toyoda, and he is the grandson of the founder of Toyota itself. 
You know, and actually his rating is up to 85% because it used to be sitting, uh, last year it was sitting at 96% when he was CEO and director of the uh, of Toyota itself, uh, president and CEO. But all said and done, the, the other 15% wants, the reason they never opt for him is because they want Toyota be, to be more transparent when it comes to the, the impact Toyota makes on the climate itself. And according to the 15%, theater is not being very transparent in what they are doing. So that is the gripe. Obviously, they would have lost because he still got an 85% vote. That is over two-thirds of the vote. So he is actually introducing solid-state batteries and other technology to improve the driving range, you know, and to cut the cost of the future electric cars. So that was something that he has just, you know, brought forward just before this new election so he can sit on the board itself. So obviously we can see that Toyota has been passed. I mean, this is the grandson after all. And uh, I, I think, you know, worldwide, uh, I think we're all aware that Toyota is still the number one the leading car manufacturer in the world. You know, so they, he's not doing that. And uh, even 96, even 85%. I mean, if we had to take a vote on the president in South Africa, that we have about 58 million or close to 60 million people in South Africa, I definitely won't be in the 85% region, Brother um, Shafar. Yeah, uh, making uh, some sense there. And uh, what about uh, toxic tires? You know, the different types of compounds, the different types of chemicals making up tires. Talk to us, uh, talk to us about uh, toxic tires as well. Okay, there is a product, right, that actually goes into tires that happens to be very, very toxic. And I can't really figure out the name. It was, it's got a funny name to it. But the U.S. government is actually imposing a law by 2025, where they need to actually find a different substance, you know, to, to compound into the tires itself, to give it the durability, to give it that uh, strength, they, they would say, you know, for the roads itself. What they have found is that the product that goes into the present tire at the moment is very toxic for the waterways, and it's affecting a lot of fish life. So that is the biggest problem. And if one had to consider, when it comes to the road surfaces, if you look at run flats, for example, run flats is a very hardy tire. And if a person, uh, I know, I have a vehicle that runs on run flats itself, and the ride is generally hard because there's mainly steel on it. So they are looking for something that is durable, that is flexible, that has uh, that can cut the cost of the tire manufacturing process down. So that is so. What they have come up with is actually nanoflakes from graphene. That is actually a byproduct of graphite itself. You know. So the only problem, and because uh, U.S. is imposing this law by 2025, really has stepped up the mark, and they have been researching. But according to them, they say you know one year or two years to test the product, and the product will only be tested at the first quarter of next year, and that's 2024. And the government has given them to 2025 for all the manufacturing plants or all those that is using this product at the present moment that is harmful. And if these guys use the nanoflakes, they will actually reduce emission by 28%. So it's a very far-fetched, or I would say it's a pipe dream as such, because none of the car manufacturers or motor industry that uses the, the other toxic product, you know, is uh, really anywhere close to taking this nanoflakes and incorporating it into the systems itself, you know. So it is something that uh, is basically, I would say, to wishful thinking at this present moment because as much as, you know, this nanoflakes will most probably suffice as a product, 
you know, to oversee the other product. The problem is U.S. is, is facing a very big dilemma because I think about eight, 65% of graphite actually comes from China. And right now we know China and America are not the best of friends. They don't play well at the present moment. So I think that will also be a problem when it comes to using the product. Although the product is so cheaply or easily available, because China has 65% of the global market on graphite itself, America might have a problem acquiring it. So I think that is where we are sitting with a bigger problem. Absolutely, I'm with my uh, We've got a few minutes to go, perhaps two minutes, but uh, you know we have to discuss this to- uh, topic. Uh, most ex- uh, most expensive Ferrari barn find uh, collection heads to auction, and uh, that will be in August. Uh, so the, uh, what I'm reading from the headlines, it was found in a barn, but it's a most uh, expensive uh, barn find collection. Uh, talk to us about it, Anwar. And this this was amazing. This is like every kid's dream. They found 20 Ferraris in Florida. Uh, a, a gay force a wind actually hit, a storm hit on a level four category in Florida. And the winds range up to 240 kilometers an hour. And it unearthed all the 20 Ferraris. And this 20 Ferraris will be auctioned off in August by Sotheby's. And we all know who Sotheby's is in England. So they're expecting to fetch the last auction I, I think they held you know, over a year or two back, was 60 vehicles, and it fetched over 900 million. But the vehicles, just an example of the vehicles that's, that was found, and we'll say barn, but not really in a barn, it, it's vehicles that has been forgotten. One is a 1956 Ferrari 410 Super America. They're expecting to fetch 96 million, and there's only 35 of those vehicles made, and that vehicle initially belonged to the Shah of Iran. And then you look at the Ferrari 512 BB. Uh, they actually hoping to fetch 41 million on that vehicle. And that vehicle was ex- extraordinary because only three of those vehicles were built. And likewise, the Ferrari 250 GT, only 147 was built. So the vehicles all happened to be Ferraris. Some of them, as I mentioned, was only three in the world that was built. You know, uh, the three was actually meant for the Lehman. So actually built for the Lehman's race, although they did not win, they became an extraordinary and extreme piece of a collector's item. And I think we all know Ferrari obviously keeps up. So compared to that, over 900 million for the six, uh, 60 vehicles they sold, they're expecting to fetch much, much more for the 20 Ferraris that was found. You know, so Alhamdulillah, you know, I'm a Ferrari person. I love the sound of Ferraris. And uh, let's see, I, I think come August, we'll have another show where we'll discuss exactly what was fetched on the 20 Ferraris. And absolutely uh, fascinating talking to you, Anwar, on your segment. Drive in with Anwar, and I know you've got lots and lots of fans, and uh, yeah, you're giving autographs uh, here, there, everywhere. Perhaps your parting words uh, this evening, huh? No, alhamdulillah, I think, you know, my, my daughter, and I'll, I will stress this here, you know, metric, they're, they're all finalizing those few subjects, especially in metric, you know, and the schools will be closing, then we've got trials coming up. Kids out there, please take heed. We all don't want to be doctors and lawyers. We are not mental. We're not cut out for certain things. Almighty knows best what we are suited at, and that is the field that he pushes us in. So as much as I can say stress a little, work hard, do your best. At the end of the day, just remember that these and what Almighty holds for you, you know, will come to you. 
You don't need to work too hard. Don't overstress yourself. I don't expect to hear any suicide cases, inshallah, this year when it comes to domestic students. So parents who's listening out there, don't stress your kids out. Because I tell my daughter, I says, baby, whatever happens, I'm your father. And Almighty knows best, you know. He's the provider. He's the sustainer. He knows exactly what you will be at the end of the day. So as much as you want to choose the medical field, Almighty knows even better than that. So please, uh, kids out there, excel, do your best, but do what? within your means and the same goes for the parents. Allah is all knowing, all wise and and Allah is the best of providers. Allah is absolutely brilliant and you have a mashallah beautiful uh, evening ahead and we'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, uh, people, it's time for us to go for the Isha's on, and inshallah, when we get back, it will be Morana Salim Karim on the segment on Family Room. <laughs> 